0: All right. Yesterday, Canada's largest Chinese-language newspaper stopped publishing the print edition after more than four decades in operation. The closure of the print edition of Tsingtao Daily, which publishes in Toronto, Vancouver, and Calgary, put 83 people out of work. But for our next guest, the closure is very challenging for Chinese seniors who really, they rely on news from these newspapers that are closing. Queenie Chu is CEO of Success, an international intercultural multi-service agency that assists people in all stages of their Canadian journey. Hi, Queenie. Hi, George. Uh, nice to
1: have me on the show. Thank,
0: thank you for joining me. Look, this is how important <laughs> is, uh, you know, this, this closure to the seniors that you know and work with uh, who, are, who have uh, Chinese as their first language?
1: Well, absolutely. When you think about 40 years, it's not a short time. Mm-hmm. And definitely uh, the readership, uh, especially for those uh, early uh, arrivals to uh, Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, or even other parts of uh, the country where there are uh, senior immigrants arriving from uh, Asia and who speak uh, Chinese. And this paper printed version uh, would have been uh, served a, a great deal um, of media for them to mm-hmm. stay in touch with uh, what's going on in the
0: community. Yeah, because it covered not only China news that was from where, where they came from, but also uh, across country Canadian news um, in a printed edition. And I know that some people ah print it dead, but, you know, it's, it's still important to a lot of people. And I think that they would pick this up and it became a part of their lives. Uh, I think we still have Ming Pao in Vancouver, um, but uh, this was a significant publication with a national audience. Um, So how how would they use that paper in their daily lives?
1: Well, uh, the thing is the fact that, you know, obviously, uh, nowadays, the uh, paper really depends on um, the financial support from Mm -hmm. the advertisers during the pandemic. uh, As you all know, you know, there's a big shift in in terms of uh, business, some business you know, especially small, right. medium-sized business being affected quite negatively. So advertising might be dwindled down and uh, might not be, uh, you know, as uh, invested uh, in uh, publication or advertising on uh, those printed versions. Mm-hmm. So subsequently, I think that is also a financial kind of decision uh, whether this is, continues to be viable uh, as a business, right? right. Uh, as a printed copy media and certainly, um, seniors who rely on it uh, for those people who are not digitally savvy certainly will be affected. But I think, uh, it, it's, uh, as we can see is probably, you know, uh, the ultimate, uh, reality nowadays uh, as we all gone through two and a half years uh, mm-hmm. plus uh, pandemic. Yeah. Many of the events, many of uh, the media has gone into online. Mm-hmm. So I think that this probably is the uh, eventuality of what's going on. Uh, while, you know, there are some uh, seniors certainly uh, continues to struggle with, uh, with online uh, access. So I think this is very important right. for us to look at how we can help those individuals, the vulnerables, to be able to access whatever the information that would be available. Uh, for them in order to keep them informed what's going on.
0: Exactly. I mean, I think that what I read was they were hoping for funding that was coming from the federal government, that there's a process happening right now, but it's almost too late, or it is too late, obviously, for St. Tao. Um, But what can success do to help? I mean, you talk about online. A lot of these seniors, perhaps, just not they're not interested in going online. So what can success do to potentially help some of these seniors who, need, who, who want to have access to information so they can you know, have their conversation groups and hang out with each other like we all do yeah. and talk about the hot issues, whether it be uh, back home or across the country or internationally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question, uh, uh, George. And we actually taken on a multi-pronged approach, mm-hmm. uh, understanding printed copies no longer kind of uh, a viable option for many. So what we have been doing is with a bit of uh, support from uh, the government is we actually started a lot of those, uh, you know, uh, digital training, like uh, we, we call okay. it uh seniors go digital training. So we we are helping seniors to gradually, you know, slowly but <laughs> gradually, able to access online media, like using an iPad, using the iPhone, and how they're going to communicate uh, via different uh, chat okay. options, whether it's WeChat, what, uh, WhatsApp, or text messages so that they actually can see, you know, um, some of the uh, uh, news that uh, that would be available for them. The other piece is also, um, you know, we also have the community groups as we are, uh, you know, uh, starting, uh, the in-person services. Mm-hmm. So we start with the, uh, in-person groups, community groups where seniors can actually, uh, you know, gather together having afternoon tea or celebration of birthday of the month and, and be able to talk about what's uh, on their mind and, how we can help them in terms of keeping them in tune um, of uh, of the news uh, okay. in the community, so I mean it is alternative it's not going to replace printed copy, but certainly we wanted to make sure that people are not deprived of uh, the news that that they deserve as Canadians right so uh while they are uh, accessing some of the training and um, you know uh, of course theres some printed copy. Of the media still floating, and we certainly um, try to help them to get uh, the knowledge there.
0: That's awesome, Queenie. I heard on the news uh, that uh, there's a contingency going or contingent going down to uh, San Francisco from Chinatown uh, to visit there. Are you part of that that group or going down there?
1: Uh, no, I am not. Uh, but certainly, our board chair is uh, okay. So uh, I understand it is important uh, to, uh, to learn from the best mm-hmm. part, you know, and how we're going to take those learnings and be able to customize what we needed to do going forward for uh, Chinatown revitalization.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things they're doing now? Just I mean, if you know what uh, in San Francisco that they're doing, that's really interesting.
1: Uh, as as I'm not part of the delegation, mm-hmm. and certainly I'm sure, uh, you know why they pick uh, San Francisco as a, 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 a city where they would have uh, lots of uh, uh, good practices. Yeah, certainly uh, the to largest learn from.
0: Chinatown in North America. They, hopefully, they have some good practices. Yes,
1: there. and and I guess you know uh, when the delegation return, I'm sure they will be able to share some of yeah. their learnings that that they have taken from, uh, from San
0: Francisco. <laughs> you know you'll hear from us about that, for sure. Um, if people want to help out for the seniors, for family members of the seniors that uh, are being challenged by this closure of the same town, what, um, uh, how do they, can they go to your website to learn more or where, where, do they, where can they find out about these, these groups that you, you mentioned?
1: Absolutely. They can either approach uh, us at success Mm -hmm. or call us at our success main office. And also we have, of course, the uh, website and phone line. They can give us a call and we'll be more than happy to connect them to the right service at the right time.
0: That's great. Thanks very much for joining me, Queenie.
1: Thank you, George, and have a good day.
0: George Affleck in for Jill this week, and hope you're doing well in this August as we head towards the end of August. Yeah, does that mean the end of summer? Ugh. Anyways, coming up this hour after the break, after the news at 1.30, uh, we'll have a conversation about what happened to Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland, uh, where she was verbally harassed in Calgary over the weekend, and we're going to have a response and, and conversation about that. Uh, in our last hour, we'll be talking about Canada and uh, the NATO and why we should be maybe concerned about our northern borders uh, up there with Russia, China, and everything going on. And now that Finland and uh, Sweden are a part of NATO, uh, perhaps the role that they play and how we all pl- play together uh, to protect the North uh, from. Uh, what could be a concerning uh, situation. Uh, we'll talk about that in our last hour as well. Uh, the Fair of the Peenies is happening. We're going to talk about the prize home which strangely is not on site this year so we'll hear about why that is and find out about that home. And also we'll have buzz lines uh, you always encourage you to call in 604-331-2899 604 331 is our buzz line to talk about anything throughout the show and leave a message and we'll play a selection of those. So last week we talked a lot about the downtown east side in Vancouver this uh, the tent city that formed uh, in that area has you know, kind of taken over the sidewalks of, of entire city blocks. in fact, some of the tents were spilling out into the roads but they 're slowly as we heard from the mayor very slowly being removed um, and people are being moved into whatever if, if they can find homes for them or they 're being asked to just kind of pack up and move along. Some of them are popping up in other areas in this city um, so it 's an ongoing issue and the issues of homelessness homelessness, drug addiction, crime. Uh, and mental health care remain uh, consistent in Vancouver and a real challenge for us in the whole region, and if not all of Canada. At the same time as this was happening, I came across an interesting essay in the New York Times about a unique program in Seattle, our neighbor to the south, uh, a city facing many similar challenges as Vancouver. It was titled, Something Better Than a Tent for Homeless. Uh, Maya Salovitz Sal- right. is the writer, and she's a contributor opinion writer for the New York Times. She's also the author of a, most recently of a book called "Undoing Drugs: The Untold Story of Harm Reduction and the Future of Addiction." And she joins me now. Hi, Maya. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Well, tell us about what you've learned, uh, you know, in the basis of this essay. it was it was, quite, it was very interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody wants to solve this problem. Yeah people do not want to be living in tents without toilets and businesses don't want that in front of their building, nor do homeowners want that in front of their building. Um, What was unique about Seattle's just care is that it created this coalition between the groups that are usually fighting Hmm. um, the businesses, the homeowners, the advocates for the homeless, the homeless people themselves. And it brought them all together and said, okay, what can we do? How can we solve this? And they came up with this thing called Just Care. And they basically, if a homeowner or business has an issue in the area where they work with um, a, an encampment, you can call Just Care and they will send people out and they will help find housing for them. This grew up in the pandemic and they had this nice um, coincidence where, oh, gee, there's all these hotels that uh, mm-hmm. suddenly are out of business. Um, yeah, and same so thing here. W- yeah. hmm so, so they were more willing to take sort of non-traditional folks than, um, than they typically would be, um, but this allowed them to get this temporary housing and then to move people into permanent supportive housing.
0: The, the challenge of finding housing, obviously that's one of the biggest things, and of course I, I want to get to that, but you know what one of the things we hear a lot up here is can't you guys just get it, get it together there are so many nonprofits. In the, I don't know if you know much about the downtown east side of Vancouver but this is an area uh, you know it's got so, so many different organizations trying to help uh, but kind of quite often competing with each other and then there's the business community and we have uh, Chinatown is also in this area who also are frustrated and you have all and then there's the residents who live down there there's renters there's owners there's um, it doesn't seem to be a lot of cooperation uh, there just seems to be a struggle and then you've got the city, the police, the fire. Uh, And so is that, you know, to get those people together seems impossible to me.
2: (laughs) No, and it is very different. And one of the interesting thing, it's very difficult, I mean, Um, one of the interesting things about the Seattle program is that uh, it was founded by Lisa Dowgard, um, who won the MacArthur Genius Award for previously founding an organization that got the um, police and the Uh, public defenders and prosecutors together who are another tough sell. Um, Now, she Hmm. did not found this by herself. She had an enormous amount of cooperation from all kinds of different colleagues across systems, but she's a person who's been very good at getting people who really don't like to work together to work together. And I think um, it's interesting. I've actually been to the downtown east side. I was writing about Vandu and other um, activism by people who Mm -hmm. use drugs there. And, you know, you guys have been a pioneer in some of these harm reduction approaches. The problem, again, is just not getting people together Mm -hmm. and also the just extraordinary expense of housing. And this is, you know, this is still an issue in Seattle as mm-hmm. well. And this makes this stuff really hard to scale. The thing about the downtown east side that intrigues me is that it's not a huge area.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so it should be possible um, you know, it's not a large se- like in New York, it's much harder <laughs> than yeah. people to operate where I am. Um, but I think um, it does suggest that if you can get people into the same room When problems arise, it is much more easy to solve them when you see, oh, this guy, I know this guy. He's not just some faceless bureaucrat or faceless Mm -hmm. police officer or something like this. Um, But these are really, really hard problems. Um, You know, people who are um, chronically homeless tend to have enormous histories of trauma, Mm -hmm. mental illness, addiction, Um, the trauma often leads to the mental illness, which then leads to the addiction. So it's really, really um, complex problems. And scaling, helping such people is is really quite a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. You, we heard, we've heard a lot about Michael Schellenberger in, the, in San Francisco. He talks a bit about, you know, the Housing First being a failure. Is that, that's not what this but is what's about What's ridiculous
2: either. about that to me mm-hmm. is that Housing First hasn't failed. In <laughs> fact, in the United States... Um, we, managed to house, we managed to house half of all chronically homeless veterans using Housing First. Houston, which is a mm-hmm. city in Texas, it's not liberal Seattle, um, <laughs> used Housing First to house about 25,000 um, people who were chronically homeless. So the idea that Housing First has failed is something that he made up. Um, <laughs> the problem is that it hasn't scaled. Um, and it's a lot easier to scale in somewhere like Houston where property is not as expensive. So right. this is this is the difficulty you get. Also, Utah used housing first to cut its homelessness roughly 50 percent. I'm forgetting the time period, but it was in you know, before the pandemic. Um, so it is really important to recognize that, you know, sometimes it's hard to see what you're not seeing. <laughs> And so when um, a place like Seattle, if they remove one encampment and you see another one somewhere nearby, you're just going to think nothing has changed, mm-hmm. unless you happen to own the restaurant where the previous encampment was. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. It's you know, <laughs> no. Not in my backyard, literally. It's gone, so it doesn't exist. But, I mean, the, 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 the concept of bringing people together, um, and certainly in the business community, I mean, there seems to be this battle like that there's – that the business community is more interested in profits, which is fine, but there's also, they like incentives too. Um, there doesn't seem to be this, you know, talking about how people can work together and what their needs are. What, what does a business community want? What does a nonprofit want? What does, the, what does the homeless person want? What does a drug addict need? What it, it doesn't seem like everybody's saying, okay, let's look at all the things that everybody needs and wants, whether you be a business person, a nonprofit, a person, the government, a politician. Um, it doesn't seem to be any conversation about how they can actually work together to succeed together.
2: Yeah. And I mean, sometimes you really do get these ridiculous silos where, Mm -hmm. you know, the police are going to sweep something up. And meanwhile, um, uh, you know, uh, nonprofits have been working for months to build trust with these people. And then the um, police sweep in and all of that is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And then this just moves around. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing that we do know is that arresting people generally just disrupts things and moves it around. It doesn't actually solve the problem. I mean, there's absolutely zero evidence that arrest treats addiction or mental illness, and it also tends to increase disease, suicidal thinking, actual suicide, overdose. Mm -hmm. Um, The outcomes are just not positive. So the problem is that politically, nobody wants to be nice to people that um, seem like, oh, they're camping and they're, you know, smelly or whatever. People, you know, have this idea that we shouldn't, you know, what we need to do is punish them and that will fix it. The problem is that addiction, for example, is compulsive behavior that occurs despite negative consequences. In other words, punishment is the one thing we know is not going to work there. But there's this conflict because we just want to crack down and it sounds good and you can actually sweep an area and at least that particular area will be cleaned up briefly. What's good about something like Just Care is that when they um, you know, remove an encampment, the people get to be permanently housed. And so you're not just moving it from one place to another. Now, does this work perfectly for everybody? Of course not. And is it mm-hmm. cheap? No, but it is actually cheaper than the arrest costs and the hospitalization costs right. that you get from just keeping moving yeah. people
0: around. We hear that all the time. The math is so clear. If you can take these people through, a, you know, help them any way they can, it's usually cheaper than just letting it be. And I, th- I find that frustrating. I think everybody does. It seems, But it seems like nobody seems to want to get together like they have a Just Care. But is Just Care uh, just about housing or is it about, you know, your book's about harm reduction and the future of addiction. I mean, how much, does just care have to do with that?
2: Well, so, I mean, they take the housing-first harm reduction approach. And one of the things, again, one of the reasons, like, people really want to punish people. Um, And so one of the things that has historically gotten the way of housing people is that the housing has sobriety requirements, drug abstinence requirements. Mm -hmm. You can't have guests. You have a curfew. It Mm -hmm. has all these things that people who are homeless either can't comply with or won't comply with. And so you, if you just say, well, we won't house you until you get completely abstinent and no longer have mental illness, um, you're going to not house many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the, you know this is where housing first and the synonym for that is basically supportive housing. That's where that comes in. But again, people who want that punitive approach, who want the satisfaction of seeing somebody led away in handcuffs are not going to like the, okay, we're slowly drawing you in to housing where we're not going to like be tough on you.
0: Mm-hmm. We had a thing it almost 20 years ago that we started but never quite finished called the four pillars, which it brought in all those areas of that like, you can't, you know, you, a table can't be on one pillar. It has to, all areas exactly. need to be happening simultaneously. So that's a bit of what this is about.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, these are complex problems and they're really exacerbated by the, you know, sort of rising inequality Mm -hmm. across both of our countries. I was really, when I um, visited there a couple of years ago to to write about it, um, I was really astonished to see, you know, the um, sort of luxury condos with these gorgeous terraces overlooking people shooting up on the street Mm -hmm. Um, you know i mean it's it's really quite extreme there and i'm from new york city which (laughs) we have some pretty extreme inequality ourselves um you know and so like i mean these are sort of um side effects of larger problems but the whole approach of harm reduction is okay we've got this bad thing going on how can we make it somewhat less bad Mm -hmm. um how can we move people towards um towards getting better and what we find is that when People, people's behavior change tends to be slow. It's not like one day you yeah. are shooting up every 40 mm-hmm. minutes, and the next day you are completely abstinent and have zero problems. Um, it yeah. tends to be a process. And, again, mm-hmm. we don't tend to have the patience for that process. And then we punish people, and it's just like, so then we're just cycling these through these systems again. Um, so... I mean, I really do hope that more people can take from this example the idea that let's get everybody in the same room, let's see what we can agree on and work on that first, and then move to the stuff that we really have to fight about.
0: All right, Maya. Hey, are you ever going to debate Michael Schellenberger uh, on a stage? Uh, I'd love to see that. If he was
2: to be honest about the fact, I would debate him. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, Maya. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks.
2: Take care. Thanks. Bye now.
0: George Affleck in for Jill today, and uh, just take a a listen to this. Christian? Yes? What the
2: f*** are you doing in Alberta?
0: You f***ing trainers, f***ing Get the f*** out of this province! You don't belong here. Severely uh, obviously bleeped there. Uh, That What you heard was uh, Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland being verbally harassed at City Hall in Alberta over the weekend. The incident speaks to a growing acceptance, it seems to me, uh, an occurrence as well of public pe- person, you know, people getting cornered or harassed, uh, just as Minister Frillian was, and, and it's not okay. Uh, someone who talks with politicians all the time is Sarah Elder Chamonara. She is the host of Elected, that's with two L's, a podcast for women in and around Canadian politics. And Sarah joins me now. Hi, Sarah. Hi,
3: George. Thanks for having me.
0: No, My pleasure. Look, this, uh, what did you think, you know, hearing that, obviously it's bleeped, you've probably seen it all, you've read about it, tell me what your thoughts are.
3: I mean obviously it was um hard to watch mm-hmm. hard to hear um I'm from BC originally um but I now live in Alberta and so um you know I <laughs> it's really it's really hard when we're trying to attract people to move to the province when mm-hmm. this kind of thing happens at the same time it's it's a disincentive unfortunately and it also, you know, uh, disincentivizes women from getting into politics.
0: Yeah. I mean, were you surprised at how close he was able to get to her? I mean, in the, the video of it, he, they, he's, they're literally trapped in an elevator. And, and he's, you know, in their right faces. And it's just shocking. Well,
3: it is. And especially because um, depending on which clip you've seen, um, there are longer ones that you can watch. Mm-hmm. And he he turned up at that building. So it's a federal building. He knew that she was in Grand Prairie that day. He went to that federal building looking for her and just happened to be that she walked in at the time that he was there. So he was seeking her out. Mm -hmm. So this, this goes well beyond someone, you know, commenting online. Um, You know, he, he was acting on, on something. And so I, I, I very much hope that um, law enforcement, obviously has this, I hope they have this on their radar and, and that they've reached out to him to make it, you know, a, mo- a point that um, this isn't acceptable.
0: You, your show, Elected, your podcast, uh, your focus is talking to, uh, you know, women who are politicians, some, you know, and in, or in politics or interested in politics or in and around it. Uh, tell me a bit about some of the stories. Have you heard these kinds of things f- before from other people in the public spotlight?
3: Oh, 100%. And mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even have to, I mean, it's, it's, it's this isn't something new, but I think in the last um, couple of years, because of COVID and because of some of the feelings that people have um, because of, of government decisions, mm-hmm. um, it's really enhanced this kind of culture of, of anger and fear. Um, and I think for a lot of people who may have felt isolated and unengaged from politics have been able to find a community um, of like-minded people who, who are, you know, more willing to share conspiracies and have bought into some really extreme um, thoughts and ideologies. And we're seeing the consequences of that. And we're also seeing the consequences of of politicians Mm -hmm. um, kind of jumping onto this and and using it to their advantage to, to further, their political ambition.
0: Yeah, and I think I saw an interview with Pierre Polyev, and he actually was, who's running for the leader, leadership of the Conservatives, and he was very clear and, and did not endorse this at all. Uh, he was he was caught up in, in Victoria uh, by Czech TV uh, and uh, was asked these questions. And luckily, uh, and I think this is the kind of, these are the answers you want to hear, that this is not okay. But it seems like more often than not, people seem to be accepting it as okay that you can do this, and I and you touched on this. It discourages not only women; it, it discourages anyone from wanting, wanting to, you know, run for office and certainly put themselves in the public spotlight and, and give service to their their community.
3: Well, definitely, but I mean, Pierre Polyev had plenty of had ample opportunity to make a statement online, and he didn't. He had to hmm. be tracked down at a at an event and you know forced to comment by having a reporter ask him. And he essentially made it about himself. And I actually, the the part that I had um, a a problem with with his comments was, you know, well, I get it. My wife gets it. You know, everybody gets it. That doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it acceptable. Um, No one should have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And the vitriol and the abuse and the threat um, are worse for women in politics. They're worse for um, marginalized people in politics. They're worse for BIPOC people in politics. Um, so, you know, for me, it was, um, you know, he, he, it didn't go far enough. And, um, okay. let's be honest, a lot of, a lot, th- these are his supporters. So, um, as much as, you know, I focus on the multi partisan aspect of politics, we also have to call a spade a spade. And okay. there are people on the right who are playing with fire mm-hmm. and they haven't just kindled the fire. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're throwing the match on it.
0: What do we do? What do we do?
3: Well, you know, I want to hear from, from someone, you know, I'm, I, I have the podcast elected. I also have the store and brand Madam Premier based here in Calgary, which advocates and um, for the increased participation of women in politics at the elected and unelected levels. It's a community and advocacy, um, beyond just being a brand. Um, you know, organizations and businesses like mine, which is, you know, more also a social enterprise, um, have a limited degree of, of being able to address some of these issues as much as I speak out on them, and so many others do as well. It's really, I'm looking for leadership from, you know, from politicians, from political parties, and from governments to really address these issues, because I feel like we all see what's going on, um, but no one's really willing to tackle it. And I, I think that the Uh, It also has to be addressed by um, law enforcement agencies, but also social media platforms, because a lot of these things are, you know, forming on the Internet and, um, you know, you have the right to freedom of expression, but you also have the right to freedom of consequences. Mm -hmm. So you can't just say anything and not feel the consequence of it.
0: Well, liberty should be a two-way street. It's people's freedom, uh, you know, to see that this gentleman—pardon the use of that word—potentially this person uh, went there, stalked her down, tracked her yes. down, uh, and obviously had uh, people with him to film him. Uh, and if you watch the video throughout to the end, he could, he leaves the parking lot, and is basically high-fiving. His great success of doing this, which makes it even worse, because it showed how planned and how proud he was to do this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and part of it was because he knew uh, that if he put it on social media, it wouldn't matter if it. he got a lot of hate. He, he also would get a lot of support, too, and that's why he does it.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, um, backflapping to this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, yesterday, um, a, a senator here in Alberta shared um, a photo, or it's actually a piece of art that I have in the store in Madam Premier, of Christia Freeland that I had made. And she actually had to delete the post because of the comments. And it's, uh, Christia Freeland is a lightning rod. Not just mm-hmm. Christia Freeland, but so many people in, in politics. I just put out, um, a, a podcast last week with, um, the MP for Delta and, um, the minister Carla Quattro. And again, all, it, it's just the targeting and the, the comments. And we seem to have lost the ability to, have thoughtful conversations and respect people's that they're coming at it from different ways, but but it's, there's so much hurt right now. There's Mm -hmm. so much mental health. There's so much, um, there's so many different things at play and, and it's just seemingly all going unaddressed, unaddressed by government or uh, it's just, you know agencies and social profit organizations they don't necessarily have the the capacity right. to do to Some... deal with these things they don't have the money mm-hmm.
0: so who, who where does the leadership come from what What gives you hope that we can fix this?
3: Well, my hope is that any woman who saw that video and saw Christia Freeland in that position
0: mm-hmm.
3: is you know sees sees the issue um, but also you know we can't let those things stop women from being in political spaces Mm -hmm. because that is, that will essentially let um, this movement win. So Christia Freeland, and I mean, the argument that he made is, you know, go back to where you came from. Christia Freeland, FYI, was actually born in Alberta. She is, she is Albertan. Um, You know, that it's just, you know, it gets used against people of Mm -hmm. color. It gets used of, there's so many different things at play. Um, and it really requires kind of, I think an all hands on deck approach to, to fighting this. Um, and especially, um, a lot of like, we also need men to speak out against this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, a lot of it happens and, you know, it just gets shrugged off, but we need male politicians. We need male political leaders. We need male colleagues. We need, um, we need men to speak out and say, you know what, this is simply not acceptable. What we don't need to hear is, you know, as the father of a daughter or, as you know the you know the the husband of you know, whatever mm-hmm. that sh- that doesn't that doesn't that do- shouldn 't matter at all it 's about equity and equality and um, these just these things have to be addressed so I want to see a real response from the federal government i mean if it comes from the 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 federal ministry of of um, women, so under the portfolio portfolio of marcy Ian. Um, you know, I'd love to see an all party statement kind of Hmm. put out by leaders of all parties. There are Mm -hmm. so many things that could happen. Um, but you know, I think that this will end up being just another news story and, you know, tomorrow it'll be whatever the next issue is.
0: Sarah, I appreciate you finding time today. I know you're busy and uh, I love your podcast. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, George. Thanks.